Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Tom Martin of KCTV 5 in Kansas City, the CBS affiliate, also the host of Chiefs Rewind. We'll talk uh, a lot of things with Tom from uh, KU to K-State football. There are coaching changes. Talk some KU hoops and uh, also talk Chiefs as well with uh, Tom coming up in uh, just a little while from right now. So great chat with him in a few minutes. You don't want to miss out on that. Thomas Bridges off today, so you get me riding solo, commanding the ship today as uh, we get rolling on today's show. And uh, we hope, and I'll try, to win the darn day today. That's the goal, win the darn day. And I say that as an allude to the uh, new Kansas State head coach, uh, Chris Kleiman, who uh, was introduced on Wednesday as uh, he'll take over the program. He's still got to finish out at North Dakota State, but uh, he is the new head man of the Kansas State Wildcats. So now KU and K-State both have their head coaches going forward. KU, it's going to be Les Miles. And for K-State, it's uh, Chris Kleiman taking over that program. And if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, that's understandably why he's been the head coach at North Dakota State for about the last five or six years, and his success has been outstanding in that time at Chris at uh, at North Dakota State. They have won a lot of darn days there at North Dakota State, and it wasn't the first hire that K State people wanted, or that Gene Taylor probably wanted in that situation. Uh, but it's ultimately the guy that they end up with, and it's not a bad, you know, second or third choice, whatever Kleiman was. Uh, I think Brent Venables would have been the first choice, obviously, for uh, you know reasons that are you know you look at obvious, you know you look at what he's done at Clemson as the best defensive coordinator in college football. You know he's got strong ties to K State, being from there. His family goes, you know, is from that area. That would have been the first choice. But getting him away from that Clemson program was going to be so tough. Uh, a coordinator making you know close to $2 million a year has a pretty good living on a team that's competing in the college football playoff every single year. That's tough to pull away. And if Dabo were ever to leave Clemson, you know, if he were to take that Alabama job, or if they were to go to the National Football League or something like that, the first guy they're going to go to is Brent Venables. He is positioning himself, if there were ever a change of any kind, Brent Venables is going to be the guy at Clemson, the way that sets up. So that was going to be tough to get Venables from the get-go. I know they would have loved to have had him, but uh, that didn't work out. Um, The other choice, Seth Luttrell, the head coach in North Texas. I think Seth Luttrell is going to be a great head coach in a major program very soon. A lot of people think it's going to be Oklahoma. I don't know about Oklahoma because I think Lincoln Riley's still going to be at OU at least for a little while anyway before he can make a jump. Um, But Seth Luttrell, his day will come, and the circumstances did not fit Luttrell what he was looking for. According to Tom Martin, actually, who you'll hear from here in just a few minutes, Luttrell... One, you know, was interested in K-State, but he wasn't going to be allowed to bring his own staff, bring his own guys that he was going to have to keep 
you know, a certain number of individuals. He wanted to clean house to bring his own guys. And he also wanted a buyout situation that would let him leave for Oklahoma if he got the opportunity to do so. And, and K-State apparently wasn't willing to do either one of those things. As far as the Oklahoma thing, look, everybody dreams of coaching at their alma mater to some extent. Whether that's their dream job or a stepping stone, whatever, um, I understand that. And if they weren't going to give him the ability to do so, I understand where Seth's coming from, but also from K-State's in that, hey, you don't want to lose a good head coach. So I, I get both sides of that. The assistance thing, that to me is what shakes my head and baffles my mind. If going from Latrell to Kleiman, deciding this head coaching situation at K-State came down to, well, Kleiman's going to keep Sean Snyder around and Latrell's going to fire him. Let's go ahead and go with Kleiman over Latrell. Then, well, why didn't you just hire Sean Snyder then? Um, I mean, if that's what this is all about, if this comes down to Sean Snyder, then that has me shaking my head as far as that situation goes. But Latrell ultimately did what was best for him to walk away from that situation. If Gene Taylor, if that report turns out, and it looks like it because Sean Snyder is going to stay around there in Manhattan, if Kleiman is forced to have Sean Snyder and... Sean Snyder struggles or Kleiman doesn't get to do things his own way and it doesn't work out because he didn't get to do his things his own way, that's a fireable offense on the part of Gene Taylor to force that to happen. And I still think, as much as I love Bill Snyder, and Bill Snyder, I had the, the honor of voting him into the Hall of Fame his year that he got in. As much as I love Bill Snyder, I do think that Bill Snyder was still playing some games behind the scenes there at K-State with what was going on with this situation, which ultimately led to Kleiman getting this job, is because I think that Kleiman, although that he has a great resume, um, he already seems like a good fit there at K-State. I think one of the big reasons why he got this job was his relationship with Gene Taylor um, who, you know, Gene Taylor hired him at North Dakota State, and also the fact that, you know, he, he's willing to keep things kind of how they are in the sense of, hey, I'll, yeah, I'll keep Sean Snyder around. I'll do things, a lot of things the K-State way. And some of that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I hope for Chris Kleiman's sake that he does get to go do things his way uh as much as he wants to. There is an extent there at K-State where you still have to do things a K-State way. You have to honor that legacy, the family, um, all the stuff that comes with that. Some of those are very good things. But I hope, for Kleiman's sake, that this decision to keep Sean Snyder, to build this staff and all this, is still stuff that he wants to do. I hope it's things that he still wants to do his way because I want to see Chris Kleiman succeed, as I think anyone else does. Um, there might be some KU fans out there that don't want to see Kleiman succeed, but ultimately, and KU fans probably don't want to admit this, but the better K-State is, the better that is for KU and better it is for the Big 12 Conference. I want to see every school succeed um, and KU just beat them. That's what I would like to see. 
Um, but it's better if everyone else is winning. So Kleiman, I, I think that you think about this. He, he comes in with that pedigree, you know, bringing in, you know, Carson Wentz. And, you know, he's going to drive that like a drum, but was able to find all that talent that, you know, North Dakota State was not only winning national championships, they were recruiting against Power 5 programs. KU knows this firsthand. Bryce Tornaden, who is, you know, went to, you know, Free State High School, almost went to North Dakota State over KU, and last minute ended up going to KU. They fight for Power 5 kids and win national titles and recruit and find ways to make things work with three, two, one, zero-star kids. It's impressive. And they've gotten some big wins, not just national championship wins, but seasons where they were able to beat teams, you know, Power 5 teams like Iowa and Iowa State and get some of those road wins. Kleiman was on the North Dakota State staff that – beat K-State there in Manhattan. So K-State's seen firsthand exactly that what Kleiman can be a part of, of winning on that big stage despite these smaller circumstances. And, you know, the, the way the style of play that they run, you know, finding that lesser talent and making it work, Kleiman seems like a natural fit there at K-State. And he's not the flashy hire by any means, but it appears that he is what K-State needs, what K-State needs to continue what they've already started on this track. Because here's the deal with K-State. K-State is a very good program, and that's all because of Bill Snyder and where they're at. Uh, That is a team that should be competing for eight and nine wins every single year, that they're capable of doing that every single year because of what Bill Snyder established there at K-State. And to do so, to do that, you still have to find guys that you shouldn't be able to get. You still have to develop talent that people passed on. And, you know, the flashy name is going to have that ability to attract, you know, those players and play, you know, a, uh, a sexy offense and all this. With this hire, K-State knows who they are. They know who they are in K-State by making this hire, that they're not denying that they're something else, that they're, they're not trying to pretend to be somebody else. Kleiman walks into this program and continues what's already started, essentially. Kleiman's not coming in to fix K-State. He's coming in to take them to the next level and continue what's already been started. And I'll say this, Gene Taylor and company have learned a lot from the Ron Prince hiring. The Ron Prince hiring was you pick this, you know, one of the biggest name coordinators in the country, way out in Virginia, who had no connections whatsoever, who was trying to change change things up and give a complete facelift to K-State and try to be something different than what they are. Found, you know, a great big arm quarterback in Josh Freeman and didn't, you know, several other things like that. And it didn't work ultimately there at K-State. With Kleiman, you know who you are and you're trying to do things the way that you've done them before, but that take them to another level in that way. With Bill Snyder, and I love Bill Snyder, and everybody should love Bill Snyder. 
Bill Snyder's way of football was catching up to him. The game was, and in fact, I wouldn't even say catching up to him. The game was behind him now, per se, that he wasn't the same coach he was because he couldn't evaluate the talent like he did previously and find those players that they were ultimately looking for, the lesser star players that they needed to succeed and to evaluate that smaller talent or have the ability to pull in the occasional you know, four-star recruit that was flashy and such and you know, had that balance there. With Kleiman, you get a guy that's obviously shown the ability to evaluate lesser players and turn them into something, but also you get a guy that might be able to crack through and get a couple of pipeline-type players there to get things going and take things to the next level. That's what you get with Chris Kleiman that you didn't have with Bill Snyder previously before. So identity-wise, I think that things are going to continue like they've been for K-State, that they have a new face to this program, but you're going to see very similar things to what they've done before, but a fresh start to try to take this to the next level because the glory days of Bill Snyder football were certainly behind him, and they needed somebody else to take the mantle that knows who they are and go that next step. And I think that's what you're going to see with Chris Kleiman. As far as the Sunflower Showdown goes, now going forward, KU and K-State, each with new head coaches, and it's going to be weird that both schools have new head coaches, which we haven't seen in a long time where both schools are at this point, uh, you know, hitting the reset button, essentially. Kleiman walks into a better situation, obviously. They're not in a scholarship stranglehold trying to figure things out there. You know, the facilities are already better. Um, that situation for Kleiman is a much better setup to walk into than what Les Miles gets. For KU, though, although Les Miles doesn't walk into a situation that's nearly as good as K-State, I think there's more room for growth and more room for potential for Les Miles than there is for Chris Kleiman. With Kleiman there at K-State, you know, they went they won five games this past season, and you're looking at the goal is going to be nine, you know, eight or nine wins uh, annually once it's all said and done, um, which would be, you know, a slight improvement from what they are, but not a huge step. Les Miles, um, anything he does, he is going to be a saint. Chris Kleiman will never be viewed in the same light that Bill Snyder is at K-State, no matter what he does. Les Miles can get KU to a bowl game, get him to a couple bowl games, and he'll be viewed as the greatest thing that happened to KU football. That's where KU gets that edge in the sense of, hey, you know what? He doesn't have to do as much, and he's going to be valued more no matter what. So Les Miles has the edge in that sense over Chris Kleiman there. Also, Chris Chris Kleiman compared to Les Miles is the sense of that Les Miles is a much bigger name. Uh, Les Miles has produced talent like, you know, Odell Beckham, Tyron Matthew, Patrick Peterson, just to name a few off the top of my head. And with Chris Kleiman, you get Carson Wentz, and then where do you go after that? Uh, I mean, Les Miles can walk into a recruit's home and say, here's what I've done, here's what I'm going to continue to do, are you going to be a part and drive that home to recruits? Kleiman, although he has a very good track record, he doesn't have the track record of less miles per se. So 
that's where some differences are there in this in both these coaches. But the state of Kansas gets two national championship winning coaches, two proven winners to take over their respective programs from this point going forward. And expectations are going to be high, uh, and they should be, because both these men have had success previously at uh, other locations and now will be expected to take their schools up to the next step and uh, where they want to go going forward uh, in this uh, in this conference. Les Miles has already done a great job uh, putting some things together. His staff looks solid. Chip Lindsey coming in as the new offensive coordinator, taking over that program, uh, offensively going to run that spread option attack. And, you know, obviously there's some big questions in regard to Puka Williams' future at KU. If he'll ever play again, you know, what that looks like, I'm not ne- not sure. We still have to wait on a lot of that information to come out as far as Puka Williams goes. But they're setting themselves up where they will run the ball, where that will be an established identity, where they're going to find as many ways as they can to run the football. And I'll say this, where KU can look over at K-State and see as an example is that K-State has done such a good job under Snyder, and they'll probably continue to do this under uh, under Kleiman, is that ball control football of being the more physical team, grinding teams out week in and week out, um, you know, beating teams in the trenches. K-State's done a great job of doing that, where they weren't necessarily the most talented team, but they were the better coach team, that they didn't make the mistakes that they, you know, played tough, you know, physical, sound-minded football. That's what KU is going to try to do going forward in this offense that you're going to see with Chip Lindsey and company of what they're going to do with Luke Meadows, their new offensive line coach, doing that style of football. So I think that you could see down the road KU and K-State could be very similar in circumstances. You could have both schools running very similar offenses, bringing in the same amount, you know, amount of talent, but where things stand, where the Sunflower Showdown stands right now, K-State has an edge in scholarship numbers, facilities, and talent. Meanwhile, for KU, they have the better-known head coach, and also this KU program has more potential to get star players to bring in, uh, to take that next step, per se, that if if you were to guess, you know, if if you were to put a prediction out there, what's more likely to happen? Chris Kleiman turns K-State into a program that wins nine games every year or less Miles gets KU to be a bowl team every year. I think you would predict that less Miles would be more likely to do so, and that's not a knock on Kleiman by any means, but less Miles walks into an easier circumstance, an easier situation in the fact that, hey, you know what? Recruit some kids get that scholarship number up, and you're going to be where the program wants you to be. Kleiman, he's got his work cut out for him in the sense of, like, yeah, all the stuff's there. Go do something with it. Do something now. He has more time. He has he uh, uh, Les Miles has time on his side. Kleiman does not. This, uh, you know, based on that Ron Prince situation, how that all went down with Ron Prince, people are going to follow Chris Kleiman very closely to try to get this out and get this right the first time. And although it might take some time to get it right and to adjust to the FBS level, 
it's going to be expected of him to get this to get this right pretty quickly uh, compared to Les Miles, who's got time on his side to figure this out and establish his program. But uh, the direction of this, this rivalry right now, it's it's a new era. It's a whole new ball game with an edge to K-State at the moment, but name recognition-wise and potential to go down forward, going forward of, uh, of taking bigger leaps would probably go to an edge of KU right now. But it's going to be fun to see how this all plays out of what this means going forward for both these schools. And, uh, and, and, and here's the other part of this, too. I think this is a big part in, when you look at this rivalry going forward. Bill Snyder had such a stranglehold on this rivalry for the last, you know, 25, you know, 27 years that talent was always going to view him better recruiting-wise and all that stuff. He was always going to have an edge, especially towards the end, you know, in that last decade or so. Bill Snyder was always going to have that edge. That's gone now. The playing field is as close to even as it's ever been before. We have never been at a point where KU and K-State were both successful at the same time. That's not saying that it's impossible to happen, but it's never been done before. And now, Les Miles has the name recognition. He's got the edge in that front to get a jump on this of owning this state and get things going forward. But Kleiman's got the facilities advantage and the talent advantages right now. And it's up to one of these two to jump on that and see where the potential is going to be going forward. Uh, I mean, these next few years are critical for not only each individual in each of these schools, but these next few years are critical for putting their foot in the ground of who's going to own the state of Kansas, whether it be KU or K-State. These next few years are critical as it's a new era with Les Miles and Chris Kleiman both. Tyler Jones here with you. Uh, Coming up next, Tom Martin set to join us. More stuff coming up later in the show as uh, we'll talk uh, some Chiefs and also get to our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. All that and more coming up next right here on the Jones Report. At this time, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome into the program. It is Emmy Award-winning sports broadcaster, part of the team at KCTV 5, sports anchor and reporter, also the host of Chiefs Rewind. It is uh, Tom Martin who joins us right now. Tom, what's happening? Not too much, my man. Headed to go talk to uh, Chris Kleiman from Kansas State, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But it's been busy times the last couple weeks, huh? It has, and uh, you 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 did some uh, you got some exclusives, some, uh, some broke some stories on that last week, and I couldn't believe like there was a, a bit of negative reaction, some sorts of like, what, what, what he's just doing his job here, you know? What people uh, you're making friends up there in Manhattan? I see. I, I thought it was funny, and and you know what? Listen, people are going to be hearing different things from different people about this, and I also think that. Um, I'm obviously less tenured than some of the people who cover the team and are closer in Manhattan, but I also trust the guy who I was talking to, and I know he was a different guy than they were talking to. And it sounded like that there was a real concern that Bill Snyder's presence was still kind of hovering over that job in the interview process. And, and as far as the, the stipulations that were in place, um, I'm real curious. You know, my report was that they wanted to have some guys stick around on the staff there and Latrell wanted to bring in, Seth Latrell from North Texas wanted to bring in some new guys. I'm curious if it winds up being that a couple of guys stay on staff, and of course they'll say, 
well, this was the right move for us, independent of any stipulations. But it was interesting for sure, and it was interesting seeing the blowback. Yeah, it was it, for sure, and 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 now, uh, so we'll we'll go ahead and start there then uh, with Kleiman getting hired at K State. Uh, this wasn't K State people's first or second choice, but the uh, resume may have been just as impressive as any coach out there with the uh, three national titles he had at the FCS level. Try to go for a uh, fourth one here. And uh, not to mention that uh, this is Gene Taylor's guy. Uh, similar to Jeff Long and Les Miles, their relationship, uh, Gene Taylor and Kleiman go back a ways as well. Yeah, I, I believe Gene hired him at North Dakota State. And obviously, I, you know, I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of the partnership between the athletic director and the coach. I don't like the situation where you had in Cleveland where John Dorsey is coaching uh, – or above Hugh Jackson, and there's obvious tension. Um, I like the partnership. The thing is, you take a risk with an FCS guy jumping right to Power 5, and I know that, that there's been some success in the past. I believe that you know Jim Tressel, guys like that have been mentioned, but uh, this is, this is going to be a leap of faith for Gene Taylor, especially when you're, I mean, no pressure, but you're following up Bill Snyder and the time before you did. It wasn't him making the hire, but the time before, you know, it didn't work out. So I think, you know, the experience I have on this that I can compare to is in Buffalo where Lance Leipold was hired to take over the Bulls, and he had had like three or four uh, D3 championships and was like the next up-and-coming low-level coach. And it took him three years to even get a pulse on the Buffalo program but they're nine and one now, or ten and one, or whatever. They're having a great season. They almost got ranked. My point is, I think with a guy making a jump like this, as Gene Taylor said, you're going to have to have some patience. And I wonder how patient this fan base can be, knowing that there's that there's that hangover from Ron Prince and the ability to get past the Bill Snyder era. So patience. You might need to see a season or two for him to kind of get used to this level. You can't doubt the credentials, and the success has been there, so you hope that pays off. Tom, uh, I, I know that uh, it's a different sport, but you saw firsthand what happened when Kim Anderson went from the D2 level up to uh, Division One at Mizzou. That wasn't a great experiment, per se. No, and it's interesting because it depends on the type of kids you have in there, and I think this, this differs a bit from what happened at Mizzou. It's funny because the Buffalo connection there, too. Nate Oates who's the big up-and-comer. He's now coaching the Bulls basketball team up in Buffalo. But there were a couple kids on that Mizzou team that he knew, and he told me when Kim Anderson came in to replace Frank Haith, there was such a difference in their approach. And Frank recruited a lot of city kids, a lot of guys who were used to a certain type of coach and a certain type of program, and that was not at all Kim Anderson. And I think I would assume just with the way that Kleiman seems to sort of put himself out there about character and a lot of the core values he supports, it seems like there would not be much of a difference in his philosophy that would go along with Bill Snyder's. I think this might be an easier transition from the type of program that you want to run. And so I think that might be one thing that's in his favor as opposed to the Kim Anderson situation you saw at Mizzou. Yeah, and one thing I would point to, you could say this with both this hire at K-State and with Les Miles at KU, it's so important to get the right 
fit. Uh, you know, when you look at Kim Anderson, I don't think anybody thinks Kim Anderson is a bad basketball coach. I mean, he's already doing a good job at Pitt State down there again since taking over that program. It's so much so it's so important to get the right fit. And uh, Kleiman, uh, part of anything adjusting is going to be fitting in there in Manhattan, say with Les Miles at KU, is uh, going to be adapting and finding the right personnel in those situations to uh, buy into that culture. I mean, that's that's half the battle. It's not even so much coaching, but fitting in and finding what works best for that program. Yeah, and you hope that, that the fan base gives them the time necessary for that changeover to take place. I mean, you look at what happened at Nebraska, and they get a guy in a similar spot, right, where they're going to have Scott Frost finish out the season with UCF. He's the guy they really wanted. It's a good fit for a lot of reasons, and, and they were got off to an awful start. And they've, and they've closed strong, but, you know, there's that time you just have to have to let things transition and change over. And I do think it is helpful in this case that I would assume some of the younger guys on that program as well saw the writing on the wall with Bill Snyder. I mean, the fact that, you know, the last time that he retired, obviously he still had something left, and he still had that same energy that you saw maybe 10, 15 years prior. Um, in this case, you know, there was always talk around the program that he was doing less and less. There was less involvement personally. And I think that, you know, if there's some players who maybe obviously were partial to Bill Snyder but also could have accepted a change and, and, and seen maybe a fresh air around, around that program, I think you might see a bigger embrace of a change this time around um, and especially with a guy like Kleinman, who, again, is going to take this. And, and really, I've always liked hiring coaches who you know this is the job they're waiting for. And for Chris Kleinman to get out from where he's always been, which is FCS or lower-level football, and to get his shot, uh, I think you'll get his best shot as a coach at, at making this thing successful. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, Tom, is with this Sunflower Showdown now, it is completely different just within a couple of weeks than it was a few weeks ago. Now with uh, with less miles and climate instead of Beatty and Snyder, Snyder had such a stranglehold on this rivalry for such a long time. Now you get to this point, and Les Miles is the more known name, but Kleiman's had some success as well, of course, down at that FCS level. Uh, Recruiting-wise, K-State may have the better facilities. KU's got the bigger name, but this rivalry is is wide open again, that there's uh, there's room for one of these two to jump out and really take advantage of this thing that it's right now, for the first time in a long time, since those Ron Prince days, it's anyone's bowl game right now. Yeah, I think so, and I think the big, the big question is recruiting. Um, you know, you heard the Chris Kleiman, what you mentioned with him getting some video. Uh, they, they put a video of his speech to the players on social media, and what name did he mention in the first two minutes? Carson Wentz. I mean, he's going to try to play that card. Hey, I was one of the guys who helped coach a guy who was a lower-level player into a Super Bowl champion, or at least at his role an FCS champion. Um He's going to have to really sell that to to players versus Les Miles can just point to his resume and point to the players he has groomed into the NFL and say, well, Chris Kleiman's got one guy. I've got 30. I've got 50. I mean, there's there's the big gap in experience there, and I wonder how that translates to recruiting. And for the record, I will say, um, you know, I think that that K-State, I've heard some fans say this, they would like to go from being the team that grooms low-level recruits into good players and become a team that just recruits better. And I don't know that that's ever going to happen. And I think Chris Kleiman works for that program because he is that guy who 
is going to have to depend on player grooming. I don't know that you ever get the great recruits in bundles out to Manhattan, Kansas. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think the mentality is good with that type of coach. And I do think that Les Miles is someone who can get a couple of real good players out there. And to David Beatty's credit, he got them there with Puka Williams and Co. Harris. And so can you keep that pipeline going? I think Kansas has an edge down the road when these coaches are in their second and third years. You might see a bigger talent gap than in years past. That's interesting to think about. And that's something that we have not seen uh, in a long time that KU possibly could have that advantage. We'll ultimately see how that all plays out. Uh, speaking of uh, KU football right now, uh, Puka Williams and uh, his situation, uh, Tom, uh, we're kind of playing the waiting game at this point. We don't have much information beyond that it was a misdemeanor and that Puka's pled not guilty. And, uh, and you know, Les Miles said he's suspended from all team activities for the time being. If there's anything good to come from this it is that timing wise KU does have time to figure this out I mean we're still even a while away from spring ball that we can let the facts uh come out and not have to jump to anything before uh this all gets so this the timing of it is not terrible uh for KU on that end yeah I think you know I think from a PR standpoint the timing was awful because Kareem Hunt in that situation it just sure. happened and was fresh in people's minds and you wonder how, I mean, look, it's no secret now, as a, as a football program, you must deal with the public's reaction and their opinions of how you're handling issues like these. And they're going to have to really evaluate everything that went into this and really seriously look at themselves and say, can we keep this guy on our team or can we keep him suspended for a certain amount of time? I think that timing may backfire or at least hurt their ability to really say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal and whatnot, again, if the facts prove to be true in that regard. So I wonder how they ultimately go about punishing him and deciding what to do. You're right. From a football roster standpoint, you have time, and you have other backs there. I mean, Puka's real good, but I wonder how a Les Miles team will incorporate a Khalil Herbert uh, or a Don Williams as well differently than uh, David Beatty's would. Um, just because of the running back success. You can name so many guys who had success as runners for Les Miles. Um, interesting, yeah. It, it's one of those where you really can't decide too much yet until they make a decision on how to spend him or punish him or whatnot and, until more information comes out, which it may not ultimately. Um, but tough situation to see for sure, and you feel sorry for, obviously, the person involved, and, and you just hate to see these things keep happening. Well, and, and besides the talent that Puka Williams is, uh, with uh, Chip Lindsey coming in, running that spread option offense that he ran at Auburn and Southern Miss, that's going to be a run-heavy offense. And we've seen uh, you know talk of that already with Luke Meadows, hires the offensive line coach. It's going to be so pivotal for this team to run the football well. They're going to need a number of backs. It's not just about Puka Williams based on this system that they uh, have in place that, uh, that they're going to run this upcoming year. Right, and, and I will say that it sounds like, and, and Les had mentioned this in his opening press conference, but I've, I've talked to a few people who have kind of hammered this home. He knows he has to adjust what he does offensively from what he did near the end of his tenure at LSU. It was just not working, and especially in this conference, you know, you may not have to go full air raid and do what everyone else does, but you have to incorporate some more spread concepts, some more ability to move the ball in the air, 
and I think you'll see a difference with Chip Lindsey from what Les Miles has done before. He already screams just difference in philosophy from some of Les Miles' previous offensive coordinators like Cam Cameron, uh, like Steve Ensminger, um, and Steve Cragthorpe. Uh, I think that this is it's a good hire with Lindsey, and you're right, the impact on running backs, you need lots of them, and you need that to be a strength. It's where their biggest talent advantage is. So you want to be able to use that versus say, well, we lost a guy and now we're just like everybody else. Uh, you want to be able to go into a game and say, these are the players that will make a difference for us and where Les Miles can have the most success. Tom, uh, KU Hoops, big game coming up against Villanova on Saturday. I know Villanova just lost to Penn last night and they already have three losses on the year, but this KU team, considering they've been eliminated by Villanova in two of the last three tournaments and getting to host a team like this at Allen Fieldhouse, this is still a huge game for KU. And considering they haven't played great as of late, I know that Villanova is not what they've been the last couple of years, but a win is going to be so pivotal for this team to get uh, come Saturday. That uh, and, and Villanova, I imagine, is going to come out uh, much better than you know they're going to get. They're going to play close to their best ball compared to what we've seen probably in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think the worst thing for Kansas is this: the way Villanova comes in, losing to Penn. It's a it's a team that's close geographically. They know that that's a game that makes them look especially bad for losing. And Jay Wright, you know, is a good enough coach to suddenly turn this around on a dime. This is obviously not anywhere near the same Villanova team that beat KU last season. And you could say that the KU talent gap is obvious, really, I'd say, in the first six or seven players uh, compared to what Villanova has besides maybe Eric Paschal. But, I mean, look, this is it's about more than that. As you mentioned, it's about sort of getting the monkey off your back with Villanova. Uh, for the guys who were on that team last year. And, and at the same time, the way they've played lately, it, it, it's kind of like last season's team in the, in the respect that you're not quite sure if they're living up to what they could be yet with the way they played New Mexico State, who's not a bad team, but that's a team that Kansas should beat by about you know, 10, 11 points. And they just don't quite seem to have their identity yet. But as we've seen with Bill Self, that will come, and it's obviously developed in games like these against high-level opponents. So I'm curious to see the one guy for me, man, that I'm, I'm real curious about is Quentin Grimes because we know how coveted he is by NBA teams. The talent's obviously there, and, and, and you wonder if he could have that Malik Newman-level impact in March after being kind of quiet trying to find his role now. Um, I want to see them really figure out how to use him and how for uh, him to be more comfortable and I'll start by watching this game to see uh, how they use him more. Doka, he's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, obviously, this team is better with him there, but there's opportunity for some of these other guys. We saw more of the far forward guard lineup. Should see more of that in the next couple weeks. Uh, but some of these guys really have to take advantage of this opportunity. I mean, if, if you play good now, then you are going to see minutes later. If you don't take advantage of this opportunity now, you may never see much time uh, with this offense, especially considering that uh, they'll probably shrink that rotation down to seven or eight when uh, when March rolls around. Yeah, I wasn't sure if we'd see Mitch Lightfoot with any role at all this year. And then you see him come back jacked as all hell. And you can tell that he worked his ass off in the offseason. And he had some real strong minutes in that win over New, uh, New Mexico State. And Diedrich Lawson said, we don't win that game without Mitch. 
and you don't want to have to depend on Mitch like you did last season when the foul trouble would kind of force him in there. But you think you have a better version of him this year if, if needed. So that's a plus. But it's interesting how this team, again, was supposed to be the, all right, we're going back to classic Bill Self, big guys inside dominating, and with DeSosa sidelined, with Azubuki hurt, right back to the four-guard lineup and the way you ran things last season. And at least you have that in your back pocket. But ultimately, I think they're going to have to really, you know, get back to that inside game, and, and that's where their best talent is, uh, while the wings and, and the younger guards get things figured out. I will say, I've been so impressed by Devon Dotson. I think he has come in and really, in the shadow of some outstanding guards in this program, has risen to the challenge, has played the way he wants to play, and you can tell that he's not uh, scared of anything. So if you're having to use that guard set, at least you have a guy like him right now who has not been phased by what's been on his plate. Yeah, he's been fun to watch for sure, uh, no doubt about that. Let's talk uh, Chiefs real quick. Uh, Mahomes was just uh, electric against the uh, Baltimore Ravens. You and I were there and saw it firsthand. Just the throws that he was making were just out of this world. I don't care what Pete Persco says. you got to do what it takes sometimes to win in those big moments, and he showed off uh, that. I'll say this, going into this week, Tom, though, against this Chargers team, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, I feel like they're the better team, but a short week and coming off a physical game against Baltimore is not going to be easy. This is a quick turnaround. That's probably the last team you want to face uh, before, you know, in a short week, uh, that Baltimore Ravens squad, because this team took a beating, it seemed, physically, uh, and now preparing for L.A. in a short week. That's going to be so tough for this team to deal with. Yeah, and you took them to overtime. I mean, you got extra time playing. Right. You got extra shots taken. I mean, we saw in the locker room, Patrick Mahomes had, had some pretty obvious bruises on both of his arms and elbows, and that's a result of a lot of the hits he took. I mean, the Ravens, almost to their own fault by some of the, the flags they took, were trying to rattle him and, and hit him and get him on the ground any time possible. And if it meant one or two personal fouls, then so be it. It didn't work. But that's what he has to come in on now. Short week against a team that can pass, uh, rush the passer well. Uh, you didn't see Bosa last time. Now you will. The good news is that the tackles have been real good for the Chiefs this year. And with the exception of Chandler Jones, they've shut down a lot of the top pass rushers in this league. The thing that I'm, I'm really curious about is what the Chargers do without Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler if both those guys can't go. I think that's arguably a bigger injury uh, disadvantage than what the Chiefs face right now without Sammy Watkins and and possibly Eric Berry. I would have liked to have seen more of a guarantee to this point about Berry playing this week than we've seen. Um, I suppose it's in total keeping with what the Chiefs do that they haven't done anything definitive. I think Andy Reid takes every advantage. He doesn't quite go Belichick, but he'll he'll make sure that there's no if there's no need to put someone out there as okay he's definitely playing. He'll keep them on their toes, the opponent, but. I think this game is going to be real tough for the Chargers, if only because it's the travel involved. Uh, the Bengals gave them everything and, and then some last week. And the Chiefs know what's on their plate. If they win this game and if Pittsburgh bounces back and beats the Patriots, they clinch home field in one week. I mean, this is it. And I know Seattle's tough, and I know that uh, in the final game of the season you don't want to overlook the Raiders, but this is your chance to take care of, uh, of everything. And long week to prepare for Seattle. 
I think the Chiefs will actually probably do better in this game than I would have thought at the end of the Ravens game, just given what the Chargers are going through right now and what's suddenly on the table for them with the losses that the Patriots and Texans suffered. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, If the Chiefs win this game, they would clinch the AFC West and a first-round bye with a win against the Chargers. And you mentioned that scenario where they could clinch home field advantage throughout the playoffs if uh, the Steelers can get a win over the Patriots. So big implications this week and the next couple weeks for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs uh, as far as that goes. And, and Tom, uh, you know, as we wind down this regular season here, uh, what, what is some of the specifics that this Chiefs team needs to get better between now and the start of the postseason for this team to, uh, to get to a Super Bowl? What are the, some of the things that they can improve on between now and then? I think the first thing you'll see is, is when you get Watkins back, you'll see the offense kind of return to the, oh my gosh, they're unstoppable form. You haven't seen that in recent weeks without him. I think he's so important. I think he's more important than Kareem Hunt as far as establishing creativity because it just it, it spreads out the opposing pass defense so much. You cannot treat Chris Conley the same way you treat Sammy Watkins. So I think that's big. It's health, really. If you get the guys back, uh, Duvernay Tardif, if he comes off IR, suddenly you can rotate in Andrew Wiley with starting experience, but your main guy is there, and that gives you more of an advantage. Um, and if Eric Berry can come back and really help, I think, in run defense, man, they might give up 300 yards to Seattle on the ground in Week 16. That's how good that rushing attack is and how bad the Chiefs' run defense is. Um, but... As far as changing anything that they do, you wish the run defense would get better, but it's not going to. They are what they are, unless Barry's presence can change that. I would say just getting more reps for Spencer Ware and, and getting the ground game as close to what it was with Kareem Hunt there, especially out of the backfield as a, as a, as a pass receiver. We saw some more screen game that really worked against the Ravens, especially in that first half. Uh, I think that's a big key, is making sure that you've established, hey, we're past the Kareem Hunt thing, and with where Damian Williams and even Darrell Williams got a catch in that game too, um, I think that the running back by committee getting established and the way they want to do things is, is a huge part of getting them back on all cylinders. But again, it all comes down to health, and they might wind up being healthy at the right time. They might, they might, and uh, they're they're like you mentioned. There's a few D Williams around there, uh, as far as that goes. But uh, yeah, great, great stuff, Tom. Uh, appreciate it as always. Uh, uh, one more thing, then then I'll let you run, Tom. I- I'm still waiting on this uh, this adult beverage you owe me, my friend. Right, right. Well, uh, it was going to happen after the Chris Kleiman press conference today, so obviously you've missed your chance on that. But we will make it happen at some point. I'm not going to be a man against my word. I'll make sure we uphold it. Oh, yes, because uh, I, I frequent in Manhattan quite often. Uh, that's that's, <laughs> that's my place. Uh, Tom, uh, as always, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're on KCTV 5 during the week, and then the, uh, the, the great Chiefs Rewind show, which everybody just needs to see uh, because you can't get enough of the Chiefs. Once they win, you got to see it again. I appreciate it, my friend. Uh, and a shout-out to my man, Danon Hughes. It's been nice working with him this year on that show. So if you're listening, Danon, Love you, buddy. I didn't call him buddy last time, and he got mad at me. So he's a buddy. He's a buddy now. Okay. Glad that you guys have established that. Thanks for the time, Top. All right. Thank you. Big thanks to Tom Martin for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones 
back here with you now. A few more things before we wrap up today's show. Uh, let's talk about that Heisman real quick, by the way. Kyler Murray wins the Heisman Trophy Award, and he did so in landslide fashion. The only region he did not win was the South region, and uh, Tua Tonga Viola only won that by a very slim margin. Other than that, it was a big win for Kyler Murray in every other region for the Heisman Trophy. And, you know, I, I told you, you know, back it was the Kansas game that I felt that Kyler Murray was the best player in college football and deserved to win the Heisman Trophy. I, I had not come to a conclusion until that point in time and I stuck with it from then on out that Kyler Murray deserved the Heisman Trophy, and he ultimately did end up pulling it off. But now we get to this point where we know who the Heisman winner is, and there's, you know, we're just, what, over two, two and a half weeks away from the national semifinals when uh, when OU and Alabama face in that Orange Bowl. And some of the Alabama players have already tweeted out, you know, hey, you may have lost this one, but hey, December 29th is coming. You know, hey, you know, look out for this one, you know, and all this. And trying to use it as extra motivation of sorts. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and I said this last week, and I'll repeat this again. If you're looking for extra motivation, if this is what you need, then you're looking for something that you already got, essentially. Uh, it may be... I, I view it, per se, as just another thing you're using in the arsenal, per se. If you take this out of the equation, let's just say that, you know, Tua did win the Heisman. Then, you know, you're saying this out, then you're, you're potentially saying that, you know, hey, you know, we're in the national semifinal. We're going to try to go out there and win this. we got something to prove. They think that they, uh, you know, they're better than us. We're going to go beat them, whatever. Now you're saying, well, you know, they think that they got the better quarterback. You know, the nation thinks so. We're going to prove them wrong and all this. The extra motivation factor that some are putting out there. Listen, it's, it is a bunch of BS because this Alabama team is going to be motivated no matter what. This is just putting their reasoning pointing to something else. So, well, some may try to tell you that, hey, Alabama's got a little extra drive a little extra motivation for this one that's different. Maybe if Tua didn't win the Heisman Trophy, don't buy it. It's simply not true. They're focusing their attention to another thing that they wouldn't point it to otherwise. That's what's going on in this case. Don't be fooled by what the mainstream media will tell you there because it's simply just not the case, that they're just pointing to something else. This Alabama team was going to be motivated no matter what, whether Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy or not. And, you know, as far as OU's sake, this is this is where I would be more concerned. This is where I would point to more so where the Heisman could actually play a factor in this is does Kyler Murray get overconfident? Um, you know, you know, knowing that he is the nation's best player, does he maybe, you know, get into himself a little bit too much? That's where I see maybe the only effect of this game happening from the Heisman Trophy standpoint 
And I don't even think that is going to be the case here. I think that Kyler Murray is going to come out playing just fine, that he is going to be himself, that he isn't going to be different than he was before he won this Heisman Trophy. This this guy's a millionaire and just put on a million-dollar season this year. Did not let it get to his head. Didn't matter whatsoever. So I'll say this. I know that history will tell you that Heisman winners do not do well that don't have a good track record in some of these big, you know, big time games to determine champions. But the fact is that, hey, it's just tough to get there anyway. That newsflash, hey, it's hard to win the Heisman Trophy. It is hard to win a national championship as is. Of course, the odds are not going to be in your favor to do both. Of course it's going to be that way. you got to win two damn games before you even you win the Heisman Trophy, and then you got to win two games after that. Of course it's going to be harder for that to happen. Of course it's going to be that way. So don't be fooled by those folks that tell you otherwise, that say, oh, well, he won the Heisman, that's going to be extra motivation for Alabama. What it is, is shifted motivation. This Alabama team was going to be ready no matter what. If this, here's the thing, here's the thing. This Alabama team, this is just another item, this is another thing. When it's all said and done, when they go on that field, you're going to put all that stuff aside and you're going to focus on the game, the opponent. If you're thinking about the Heisman when it's third down on, you know, the 40-yard line and it's the difference between a field goal and punting, or if you're really sitting there thinking about the Heisman, that's only going to hurt you. You're going to be distracted by that. That's what that is. So don't let people fool you that it's going to play a factor because uh, it won't. The better team that day will win. And it will not be because one guy won the Heisman and the other guy didn't. That's not the case. This is a team game. This is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's not about any one individual. Do not be fooled. You've heard it first. My prediction for this game, I'll let you know next week on that. On next week's show, we'll give out our college football playoff predictions. Thomas Bridges will have his as well. Uh, and we'll uh, go over those on next week's show. So be looking forward to that. We'll uh, get those to you next week. But the Heisman Trophy, they got it right. No doubt about it. But it's not going to play a factor in the game. Don't be fooled. Don't be silly. Uh, If you hear that nonsense, immediately just shut it up. Ignore it. Don't listen to it. It's, uh, It's a bunch of that, you know, hot take, first take garbage that's out there. That's what it really is. Um, Let's talk uh, Chiefs now. Chiefs with a big game Thursday night, taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. I still hear some people call them the San Diego Chargers. Whatever they are, the Chargers, um, you know, they almost don't really have a home because their games in Los Angeles, they have uh, more road fans, it seems like. But whoever they are, the Chargers taking on the Chiefs on a Thursday night football. Chiefs look like they're going to have Eric Berry back. And here's the deal. I know that a lot of people are saying, you know, hey, Philip Rivers should go right after Eric Berry, that that should be his point of emphasis, whatnot. Here's the deal. Andy Reid's a smart guy. 
Bob Sutton's a smart, smart guy. If Eric Berry is causing problems and shouldn't be on the field, the Chiefs are going to be smart enough to take him off the field. Eric Berry will only play in this game if he presents the best option for victory. That's why they've been holding him out to this point, because they needed him at a point where he makes the Chiefs better. That's what they want from this team. So, look, um, if if you're looking for the Chiefs to struggle and Eric Berry to be a hindrance, you're looking at the wrong place. Despite, you know, the questionable status, he, he I mean, he's going to play, and here's the deal. If he's only in on third downs, if he's only there to drop back in coverage from time to time, the Chiefs are better with him. He's there, I mean, really. That's the case, is that he makes this team better. That you throw him out there. Andy Reid will figure it out. If he's not making them better, he'll be smart enough to pull him out and figure it out otherwise. So if if you're picking this game, if you're trying to figure out who's going to win and say, well, I'm not sold on Eric Berry out there. Well, are you more sold than you know that those backups? Are you more sold on Sorensen and those guys? Because I think that Andy Reid's going to be smart enough that if he sees that Eric Berry's still hobbling, that he's not quite ready yet, he'll pull him out, he'll figure it out, and go the right direction. I don't think that Eric Berry is going to cost this team a game. If anything, he'll improve them and make them better. That's what he'll do for this Chiefs team as uh, far as that goes. So uh, I know that some people are concerned and – you know, there's reason to be. There's reason to be concerned. There's re- there is cause for concern. You know, when a guy hasn't played in two seasons of exactly what he's going to bring on the table, but if he's not bringing any bacon, if he's not bringing home the bacon, they're not putting it on the stove. They're not frying it. They're not cooking it. Eric buries the bacon here, and if he's not going to be there, if he's not you know, at his full capacity, what he's capable of, then they won't use him that way. That's what you're going to see from this team. So I'm excited to see Eric Berry back there. If anything, if anything of what it does for this Kansas City Chiefs team, Eric Berry brings a whole new energy, a whole new life for that team to see a guy that's worked his ass off for two years, to see a guy that's beat cancer, that's done this before, that continues to not give up and still find a way on the football field, that's a lot of motivation. That's something to seriously get excited about. Not that Alabama crap about who won a trophy and who didn't, especially in this day and age when everybody gets a trophy, all these snowflakes out there. In Eric Berry's case, that to me, that's what excites a team. That's something you can believe in and rally around and take that next step. That's something that can make this team better is seeing Eric Berry out there. So, to me, I like that. That's great for the Chiefs. Three regular season games left to go for this squad in the circumstance that it presents right now. If they defeat the Chargers, that clinches the AFC West and a first-round bye for the Kansas City Chiefs. That would guarantee at least one home playoff game in Kansas City. And if they're to win the week after that or the Patriots lose to the Steelers, 
then you're talking about home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs for this Kansas City Chiefs team. you got to treat every game at this point, and I know it sounds cliche, but for this Kansas City Chiefs team the rest of the way, you got to treat every game like a playoff game. Last week, you go into overtime with Baltimore. You needed to do so. You needed to win that to clinch a playoff spot. They did it. This week, you need a win to clinch the division or first-round bye. Go do it. The next week, you need a win, if the Patriots win this week, to clinch home field advantage in the AFC. You got to go do it. So I say all this to say that every week affects your playoff situation. It is a playoff every single week because you have the opportunity to set yourselves up better or worse for what is to come in this postseason. It's pivotal. It's important to get these wins. And for the Chiefs this week, this is going to be their toughest challenge left in the regular season, without question. Not only is this the best team they'll face in the final three weeks, but also the circumstance of what they're coming off of. Remember, the Kansas City Chiefs this week are coming off a very physical game against the Baltimore Ravens. And, as Tom Martin mentioned, yeah, they they went to overtime. They played an extra quarter, pretty much, against the Baltimore Ravens last week in their victory. And then, I mean, you're playing a short week. That is the worst of circumstances to be going into in a short week. That, hey, you just got through playing the most physical team in the National Football League. You took a beating. Some guys got hurt. Tyreek Hill is going to play, but he did get banged up a little bit. Some of your other guys did. And you played an extra period. And now you got a short week against one of the best teams in the league. It's a tough circumstance. That's not easy to deal with. But the Chargers face some problems themselves. They've been out with some running backs. You know, Melvin Gordon hasn't been there quite what they would like, you know, with, with what he's dealt with. Um, that's been a bad circumstance. So, fortunately for the Chiefs' sake, obviously it's, you know, it sucks for these players to go through these injuries. You know, part of the game. I get that. But... For these, these Chiefs' sake, it's good for them that the Chargers are kind of in a similar predicament. Not to mention the Chargers have to make a road trip on a short week, too. So maybe some of these things balance themselves out. But on the surface level, you're a little concerned about that. Now, the Chiefs have won 19 out of their last 20 games against AFC West opponents. They've had their way. They've, been, they've proven to be better than the AFC West for quite some time. So if the Chiefs play their game... They're going to win. If they do the things they do well right, they will win this game. But I know Patrick Mahomes is going to be the MVP. He's going to be my vote for the MVP, um, and rightfully so. And this offense has been the best offense in the league. They've been electric. They've done a lot of good things. If there is one thing the Chiefs need to do differently, in particular Patrick Mahomes, and that would be, and it would be nice to see this weekend against the the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. And Tom mentioned a couple of things, you know, the 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 rush defense and a few others. 
in regards in particular directly to this game against the Chargers, Mahomes needs to take care of the football. And he's done a great job this year. Only 10 interceptions. That touchdown-to-interception ratio is really solid. That's really good what he's done in regards to that touchdown-to-interception ratio. But take it a step further and avoid some of those mistakes. In particular, this week, you got the home crowd on your side. You know, all the pressure is on Los Angeles. You know, it's the beat L.A. thing going on here. All the pressure is on them. Go do your thing. Take care of the football. And to me, I think that's one thing that is going to turn Patrick Mahomes from a sophomore quarterback into a veteran quarterback. It could be the difference between them winning a Super Bowl and not even getting there is if he can take care of the football a little bit better. And this week would be a good start to do so. So that's what I want to see from the Chiefs. Get Eric Berry back out there. Use him in situations that make that team better. If he's slow, if he's not ready, don't be afraid to pull him for a better option. And then not to mention Patrick Mahomes, take care of the football a little bit more, and they'll be fine. They're the better football team. They're at home. Play your game. Fix the little things. And at this point with those things, and some of the things that Tom mentioned earlier, we're getting nitpicky at this point. We are. This was a whole different circumstance with the Chiefs at this point last year. The What we're looking for in this Kansas City Chiefs team is not a playoff team anymore, because they are that, but the little things to get them to be in a Super Bowl team. That's what we're looking for now, what's different compared to this time. Last year it was, hey, they got to clean up this stuff just so they can have a chance. Now it's clean up this stuff so they compete at the, can compete at the highest level. That's what we're looking at. Here's the scenarios in the AFC this week. Uh, I mentioned the uh, Chiefs need to clinch. Uh, a win clinches the AFC West in a first-round bye with the Chargers. The uh, Patriots, with a win, can clinch the AFC East with a win at the Steelers and a Dolphins loss. The Texans can clinch the AFC South with a win and a Colts and Titans both lose. And the Chargers can clinch a playoff berth if they defeat the Chiefs. So looking forward to that coming up this weekend. Chiefs and Chargers on a Thursday night football. And uh, Joe Buck with the call on uh, Fox for uh, this one. So I look forward to uh, that here in uh, just a little while from right now. A couple more things before we get out of here today. Get to our picks segment. And then uh, Tom Fullery as well. Let's start with the uh, college football picks. Got five bowl games for you on the slate. And uh, we got five NFL games. So here's the picks this week. I'm 75, 71, and three on the year. So some of these you might want to just throw away if you're looking at me to make some money because I've made about $4. uh, (laughs) Is all based on the way things have looked. And I'm sitting in last place. We got a tie top the leaderboard with. uh, Thomas and Billy at 74-53-2. Derek's at 85-61-3. And And, uh, Brian's at 77-70-3. So here we go. Uh, Let's start out the college football side, the Las Vegas Bowl. Arizona State and Fresno State. Fresno is a four-point favorite. I really like favorites this week. Give me Fresno at four. Um, 
I, I do like the win over uh, Jeff Tedford's squad. Um, you know, or uh, Jeff Tedford's squad actually to get the win over Herm Edwards. Uh, North Texas against Utah State. Uh, this is big going forward. Uh, the relationship between uh, Mason Fine and Seth Luttrell. And, uh, you know, and I think that this is a big step now that they know they got another year together. Uh, I expect a win out of North Texas and uh, what they have with that program. I, I think that they could take down Utah State. And uh, Matt Wells, uh, I'm not exactly sure if he's coaching this game or not, but he's departing. That's a big factor in some of these bowls is who's sticking around, who's not. Uh, Will Greer is taking some heat for not playing in that bowl game, which doesn't mean anything. Um, yet uh, you got these yahoos like Doug Gottlieb and others that are criticizing for him. Like, what's he supposed to do? He's going to be a first-round pick. Um, New Orleans Bowl, Middle Tennessee State and App State. Uh, I like App State minus seven. Uh, the Camellia Bowl. Man, that's just the bowl everybody wants to go to. Uh, Georgia Southern taking on Eastern Michigan. Give me uh, Georgia Southern at one and a half. And then uh, Tulane and Louisiana Lafayette in the Cure Bowl. Louisiana, interesting enough, doesn't want to be called Lafayette anymore. They just want to be known as Louisiana. Uh, both these schools are Louisiana schools. Uh, Tulane's down there as well. Willie Fritz uh, getting his team to a bowl game, running that uh, triple option spread offense. Uh, I'll go Tulane. That's tough to prepare for in a, a bowl game, let alone a regular season game nonetheless. Um, NFL picks. Chiefs and Chargers. I told you what I want to see from the Chiefs in the next you know, couple days. Uh, you know, in particular, this road to the playoffs here. And uh, I think they start by doing those things this weekend against the Chargers, giving the Chiefs at a minus three and a half to cover. Bears and Packers. Packers had a huge bounce back without their head coach, Mike McCarthy, last week. The Bears, though, had a big win against the Los Angeles Rams. Bears look like they have one of, if not the best defenses in the league. They're a five and a half point favorite. I like the Bears. And. Interesting enough with the Bears is, and they're a good example of this, is that, you know, we look all the time about, hey, a great offense, you know, a team with a great offense can overcome not having a good defense. KC, you know, is the case in point. With Chicago, a great defense can overcome not having a good offense, and that's the case with them. They're, they're a great defensive team, and they're going to be in the postseason. Uh, and win their division. So, I like Chicago at five and a half. New England and Pittsburgh. The Patriots are a one-point favorite against the Steelers. And uh, Tom Brady and Big Ben both will play. The Steelers are uh, just out, out of whack right now. They are playing very bad football at the moment. They are in a funk, and they just might miss the postseason now. Uh, New England, they need a bounce-back win after losing to the Dolphins last week. I'll go with uh, New England as a, a one-point favorite. Here's where I like underdogs. The uh, Colts and Cowboys, the uh, Colts are coming off a win against the Texans. They've been a week-to-week football team. The Cowboys have been one of the hottest teams in the league for the second half of the year. Amari Cooper with uh, putting up some big numbers week in and week out. I like Dallas on the road as a two-point underdog. And then uh, the Vikings taking on the Dolphins. I don't necessarily like the Dolphins to win this game. But the Vikings have struggled this of late. And the Vikings are a seven-point favorite. If Minnesota's going to win this game, it's not going to be by seven points. 
Um, so go ahead and give me Miami as a seven-point underdog. So I'll go Fresno at four, North Texas at eight, App State at seven, uh, Georgia Southern at one and a half, Tulane at three and a half, NFL, give me the Chiefs at three and a half, the Bears at five and a half, New England at one, Dallas is a two-point dog, and Miami is a seven-point dog. And those are my picks for this week. Hopefully I can make you a little bit of money. We will uh, see. All right, time for our Tom Fulgery story of the week. Ohio State, they got a new head football coach in Ryan Day, and they also have bacon vending machines on campus. Here's the story out of Columbus. Here's how it goes, folks. Uh, Many Ohio State University students are taking a break from studying for final exams by making a bacon run. Finals week this week and everything. Senior Sarah Page, who studies meat science, says the bacon vending machine at the College of Food, Agriculture, and Environmental Sciences has turned out to be even more popular than expected. It has been restocked four or five times a day. It offers cooked bacon strips and bacon bites for or bacon bits for one dollar. Proceeds will benefit the meat science program. Members of the program are responsible for the bacon machine operation on the Columbus campus. The Ohio Pork Council sponsored the machine with bacon donations from Smithfield, Hormel, and Sugardale. The machine remains on campus through December 13th. Pre-dental student Shay Merity loves the overall Ohio-ness of it and the bacon. Great story. I love this idea. I love bacon. Um, you know, I mean, you see a pig, and I know that I'm going to get some flack for this, probably from some PETA folks, but when I see a pig, I can't help but think, man, that one day is going to be a delicious piece of bacon or, you know, or ham or whatever you use a pig for. Um, now you're putting it in vending machines. This is brilliant. This should have been done a long time ago. There are some days, and I'm guilty of this, like of going to work wise, where I forget to grab breakfast on my way in or I don't have enough time to get breakfast. And especially in a college campus, I mean, you're barely making it to class. This is brilliant. Like, okay, well, I forgot breakfast. How about bacon in the vending machine? This is a great idea. This is uh, this is awesome. Good move by the Ohio State to become the bacon university of the United States of America and get ahead on the game. And, and those are some good choices. Uh, Smithfield, Hormel, Sugardale, that's quality bacon these students are getting from the vending machine. I would totally do this. It uh, It's a great idea. I'm glad somebody got out on it. It's cooked and everything, and it's just a dollar. I mean, you spend a dollar on a soda. Why, why do that when you can go get a, you know, some bacon? Um, you can fuel up on bacon. To me, that's better, and it's for a good cause. All proceeds go directly back to the Ohio State Meat Science Program. This is brilliant. You know, give me the bacon. Uh, our guy Eric Alvarola said that he gets free bacon for life. Somebody get me on that. Like, I don't have free bacon for life. I don't have access to a bacon vending machine. This needs to change. I need more access to bacon. I am being held back from what I truly love. 
delicious, crispy, but not too fatty, bacon. Somebody help me out here. Please. I'm begging. If it's my last wish, give me easier access to bacon in some way, shape, or form. And on that note, we will get out of here today. Uh, Big thanks to Tom Martin for uh, joining us, hanging out here on today's Jones Report. Give him a follow at TomKCTV5. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at TJ Media Group. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. So many ways to get the show. You don't have an excuse not to listen every single week here on the Jones Report. So uh, make sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and download the show every single week. Tell your friends, a friend or two or 50, that you love the Jones Report and they need to be listening to it. And I hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you right back here on the Jones Report next week. So long, everybody.